You're now tuned in to the Desire to Trade podcast, a show where we bring you the best figures of the trading world and teach you how you can become a successful trader. This is your host, Etienne Kret. What's up, traders and content from the Desire to Trade? In this episode, we're discussing something you asked for, how to choose a broker. Now, choosing a broker is like the first step when you want to start to trade. So I've invited two guys, Justin Erzberg and Trent Hoare. Those guys are really good. They're at Forest Park FX, and they're really good at what they do. They're basically involved on the, on the broker side of trading, and they really talk about how to choose a broker. So this episode is pretty long. There's a lot of stuff to cover. So what we'll do is we'll split it into two parts. You'll have the first part today, and the second part will be released Wednesday this week. So check this out. Make sure you listen to this until the end. And it's really a lot of information. So it's really something you have to consider. Even if you already have a broker right now that you work with, you should really think about whether that broker fits you and fits your style. Now, make sure you take that information and apply it to your life. And I'll see you soon. So what's up, guys? How are we doing? We're doing great. Thanks for having us on. So we have, this is Justin. And then Trent is on the line also, right? Yep. Thanks for having us on. So I want to start by asking you guys what's going on these days exactly. Uh, what's going on is uh, an ever-changing uh, FX landscape. Uh, some some big changes and things to consider uh, just in the last week uh, because uh, we are in an environment with ever-increasing regulations and challenges that uh, brokers and traders are facing. So uh, what's going on for us uh, most recently is we were... Um, we were the only introducing broker in the world for TradeStation uh, and their FX platform. Uh, and uh, recently, TradeStation made the decision to sell their FX business to Oanda, uh, which is another great firm. And uh, so we're, uh, we're working to help all of our clients transition. Uh, there's a lot of questions about uh, the process, about the new platforms that they're going to have to learn, about uh, uh, pricing and execution and what other changes that they they should understand in, in changing brokers so we've been helping our clients through that and uh, uh, some other interesting news uh, came out this morning that uh, ATC brokers which is an introducing broker here in the US uh, and, a, and a terrific firm with a, a long-standing history um, actually is filing or has filed for chapter 11 bankruptcy uh, this is not to be confused with a dissolution it's just a reorganization of their uh, their business, uh, but it uh, it does create some concerns in the eyes of uh, traders. So we do our best to kind of stay out in front of developing news stories and how it might impact our clients and prospective clients. So we can uh, we can be a resource that they can turn to to get their questions answered and uh, and hopefully have their their fears allayed and they can go back to just focusing on trading. Hmm. It looks like this is what happening these days and. Is it always the same? Is is there always new things in in the brokerage world, or there's a uh, there's a lot of changing going on. Uh, certainly, a lot of uh, uh, brokers coming into the space outside the U.S. A lot of consolidation inside the U.S. Uh, and it's all a function of where the the FX market is going, uh, what regulations brokers are now having to face because. Overall, we've seen a, a, a trend from the unregulated to the regulated over the last uh, eight to ten years uh, where the, the FX world was 
was considered the Wild West uh, even just a few years ago. And regulators across the globe are trying to uh, to bring all the firms in line with one another and create some consistency and uh, accountability to uh, to ultimately protect uh, the clients and provide fair trading conditions. And that leads to a lot of changes. A lot of firms struggle with the new compliance responsibilities and obligations. Some firms thrive in it uh, and and use it as an opportunity to uh, to buy other firms and merge with firms and, and create new and exciting offerings. So it's, uh, it's just sort of the nature of the beast. Uh, we try to stay abreast of everything and, uh, find the opportunity, stay away from the risks and, uh, and advise our clients accordingly. Cool. Now, Justin, you've been telling me just before we started recording that you've been, you're trading also right now, right? Yeah, I uh, I have an unusual story as to how I got into uh, FX trading, and I don't think anyone starts out in FX somewhere along the way. You took a wrong turn and ended up uh, along the euro somehow. Uh, but uh, I actually started my career as a securities and commercial litigator, and I practiced as an attorney for a couple of years in Florida, and uh, ultimately realized that I didn't like the practice of law, or at least the traditional practice of law, and. Uh, was looking for for some outlet for my entrepreneurial spirit and my uh, my MBA in finance that I also received, and ultimately went to work for an FX prop firm that was led by a former FX fund manager who, at his peak, had about seven hundred and fifty million dollars under management. And it was my first exposure to trading anything other than baseball cards, um, and uh, really really fell in love with the markets, fell in love with the the brokerage side as well, everything that happens after you click buy on your platform, and how does that order get matched up with someone else on the other side and 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 all of the uh, the, the the technical nature of that. Um, and I've stayed in, in trading ever since. I, I've worked for a couple other firms in different capacities, including working on the trade desk as in-house counsel. Uh, and uh, and I've been I've been a trader myself, uh, trading for myself as well as uh, on an agency basis with certain uh, uh, firms that I've worked for. And uh, it's all been a very interesting learning experience. Um, I still trade a little bit for myself now in, in a couple of different asset classes. And uh, I I know enough to know that I shouldn't be a professional trader uh, other than for, uh, for trading some of my own money. Uh, and so I know my skill set is um, – is better served in the in the broker side of things and trying to help uh, help other traders make better decisions about where to trade. Just for the listeners who are passionate about trading strategies and everything, how and when do you trade exactly? Uh, interestingly enough, my trading style varies depending on the the assets that I'm trading. Uh, typically, if I'm trading stocks or options. Um, my my time horizon is much longer. Could be weeks or months for positions. Uh, very very rarely will I do any sort of intraday trading. Uh, but when I trade uh, FX, I would say I'm typically an intraday trader with perhaps a long holding time of maybe 36 hours at the at the the longest period. Um, so forex more intraday, uh, stocks and options uh, much more uh, long term. Hmm. And Trent, I kind of want to hear your story as well. So how did you start trading? 
Um, so I started trading in 2009 for a prop trading firm out of Chicago called Marquette Partners. Um, and how I started in that was I had two older brothers at the time trading for the firm, and they'd been there for several years. So I, I came up not really knowing anything. Uh, it was mainly futures at the firm, futures and options, but knew nothing about futures, didn't even know what a futures contract was. Um, the only reason why I got the job was honestly because I had two profitable brothers that were trading there. So I, I spent about nine months in a trading course with them. It's very intensive at some of those Chicago prop trading firms where where they take you from not knowing anything to to placing your first trade to putting on sizable trades. Um, and from there, both of my brothers decided to leave the trading firm and, and one started up his own prop trading firm and the other one went to go trade independently. Um, when that occurred, they politely showed me to the door and said, you, you're, you're on your own. Um, so I, I had already, I'd already sort of knew it was coming. Um, so I spoke with, with one of my older brothers, the one that was starting his prop trading firm and he agreed to back me as a trader. So that took me from, from trading at a major prop firm to trading at a startup prop trading firm, which, which had its advantages and disadvantages. Um, the advantage was I was now solely responsible for my own trading. I didn't really have a lot of oversight. Um, for me, that allowed me to, to learn more about the markets and learn really more about myself and, and how I traded. Um, the disadvantage was I, I didn't necessarily have the, the major backing as as I did at a, a firm such as Marquette Partners that had 100 to 150 prop traders. Um, so I didn't have have as much capital to work with, if you will. Um, but overall, it was a, it was a great experience. Um, yeah. Hmm. And today, what do you trade in? How exactly? Yep. So... Back in 2012, I had made the decision to leave trading um, as a full-time trader. Mm -hmm. um, ultimately, I was trading the futures markets. The, the main products I traded were, were the outrights, um, natural gas, crude oil, cotton, silver, anything that was moving. I was just a high-volatility trader. Um, I looked to pick up on inefficiencies from algorithms, um, but it ultimately, their algorithms are just going to keep learning more and more and more. Um, and the markets just got overrun by algos, essentially. Uh, so I made the decision that that time that that I was going to leave and and go on the broker side. And so I started started really just researching what a what a futures broker is and and what it what is all about. And along that process, I had come into contact with a company called Think Forex. Um, they at the time they had an office in Chicago. Um, and and ultimately took a took a sales position with them on the institutional desk, and at that same time I opened an account with Oanda, uh, which I still have that account today. I I trade to answer your question. Um, I trade an account with Oanda, not not sizable. Um, it's more to to stay to stay current on the market to uh, to keep up on in, industry trends, um, and just just stay relevant, if if you will. Um, I always always have my my pulse on the the market, and and it helps during conversations. It helps when speaking with clients, um, and it and it keeps me keeps me on my toes. Mm -hmm. What do you find so interesting about the uh, brokerage side of uh, of trading? Yeah, um, honestly, I so 
for the past what about four years now? I, I worked for two different FX brokerage firms directly. I worked for Think Forex as their head of institutional sales, and then I worked for DirectFX as their global head of operations. Um, ultimately, I I spoke with Justin for about six to seven months before coming down here, um, and most of those conversations revolved around really what I found most intriguing about what I was doing, and and um, that. To answer that question, um, I enjoy working with clients. I enjoy working and helping clients find the the right home for their trading account. Um, I enjoy hearing their stories, like what gets them excited about the markets, why they're trading. Um, just just dealing directly with the clients ultimately is is what I find most fascinating. Hmm, interesting. Now we'll kind of jump right into the uh, content you you wanted to talk about because. I know a lot of our listeners right now, they, they hear this stuff about trading psychology, they hear this stuff about how to trade and trading strategies, but they don't really have the first step on how they can start to trade. So like the first step is really to get a broker and this is what you guys are going to talk about. So what's the first step when you want to start to trade and get a broker? Choosing a broker is, is something that a lot of people take for granted. Uh, they operate on the assumption that all brokers are largely the same and there's no necessary reason why they should choose one over the other. Um, or uh, the, the other thing that we encounter sometimes is a client will choose a particular broker because his brother's, uncle's, neighbor's, dog's, dog walker, who happens to also be a big FX trader, uses XYZ platform. And he says it's absolutely the best and you can't trade anywhere else. And what we find is uh, is that that's not the case. Uh in FX, we're talking about an off-exchange market. <clears throat> and by off-exchange market, we mean there's no centralized clearing like there is for stocks or futures or options. And as a result of that, every broker will have differences in their pricing, in their execution quality, in the platforms they offer, in the latency that exists, in the technology that they can provide. And the assumption that every broker is the same, in our opinion, is just wrong. Uh, every broker is not the same, and it's really important to understand the differences from one broker to another and to then take that knowledge of what's different and apply it to your particular trading strategy to find the right brokerage solution that suits you as a trader. And very few retail FX traders actually approach the situation that way. They often end up with a broker that... <coughs> is marketing themselves heavily, whether through industry forums and banner ads or LinkedIn or email blasting or something. Uh, and they're often in jurisdictions that we consider to be either unregulated or underregulated, where they, they bait you in by unbelievable marketing and, and uh, suggested trading conditions. But ultimately, you're going to have a very difficult time getting quality execution, quality customer service. And we've heard countless nightmare stories of clients not able to get their money out of the broker. And uh, I don't want to scare people away from the industry because the industry, I think, is a, is a terrific industry. But you need to use some, uh, some discretion in ultimately choosing a broker and uh, – We've spent a lot of time reviewing brokers, working with brokers um, to, to basically weed out 
the bad element, the bad ones, so that we can ultimately just send our clients to regulated, reputable brokers uh, where they're going to have fair trading conditions, where they're going to receive stellar service, and where they're not going to have any issues with drawing profits and, and deposited capital. Uh, and uh, we, we've come up with some uh, some some good tools and and things for um, for the average trader to consider. I, I don't want to make any of this podcast salesy. I just want to give your listenership some things to consider when uh, when opening a a brokerage account. And we've actually uh, put together a little uh, like blog post recently. Actually, just last week, Trent and I finished it. Uh, and and the, the title is really six things to consider before choosing an FX broker, and it's probably a perfect fit for for the conversation we're having now, and um, <clears throat> and we can kind of talk about uh, about those and uh, you know let the conversation go where it will. You can ask any questions and uh, interrupt me or Trent uh, with uh, with your thoughts or, or where you think your your clients might have concerns, so we can make sure to. To really focus on that, because at the end of all this, I want your listeners to to get value out of this this hour or so. Um, <clears throat> so again, we, we've we've got these six six things to consider before choosing an FX broker. And the first one is <coughs> understanding the pricing model that the broker offers and understanding the ramifications it can have for you and your trading. Um, so there's two major different uh, pricing models that brokers will offer. The first is what we call the all-in spread, and that is <clears throat> just a spread, and that's the only cost that you have when trading. Uh, and a perfect example of this would be Forex.com. Uh, some some people might know it as Gain Capital. It's a publicly traded broker with offices throughout the world, um, and and an all-around great firm, <clears throat> and. They offer an all-in price, uh, which is, again, just the spread. Uh, there's another major model, which you'll see with brokers like FXCM, for example, where they're offering you a raw spread plus commission. And there are benefits and elements to each of those that um, traders should consider before opening an account. Um, the all-in pricing is typically something you see when trading with a dealing desk broker, and we're going to get into what a dealing desk broker is in a moment. Um, the raw spread plus commission model is typically what you'll see of a non-dealing desk or STP-style broker. Uh, STP stands for straight-through processing. And <clears throat> there are pros and cons to each. Um, for this particular section of our conversation, we're talking more about um, pricing than we are execution. And all things being equal, obviously you'd like to trade with a lower cost of trading. Um, the, sort of the, the adage, uh, a penny saved is a penny earned, applies in FX trading as well. A pip saved is a pip earned. And if you can reduce your cost of trading, you should try to do so, all things being equal. So how should I know whether I should go with the, uh, the, the all pip spread or the, uh, the raw spread plus commission? Great question. So one thing that, that we, we try to inform traders to be able to do is, is understand the total cost of trading. Obviously, it's easy to know what the total cost of trading is when you're looking at an all-in spread because it's just the spread. But 
what is your total cost of trading when you're paying a separate line item commission? Because oftentimes the commission is paid in the currency in which you've opened your account, but the spread could be uh, the spread is always in pip value, and it's the the relative pip value of of you know euro dollar. It's going to be dollar based. If it's euro yen, it's going to be yen based. If it's uh, dollar cad, it's going to be cad based. So there's there's challenges to understanding total cost of trading when you're looking at the raw spread plus commission model. And we encourage traders to really understand the value of a pip so that you can say, okay, my spread is X, my commission is Y. When I add those together, my total cost of trading is Z. And I can compare that to the, the all-in pricing at this other broker and see which is better. Uh, and, and for some people, they have a little bit of difficulty with that because of currency conversion and other factors. Uh, but it's it's crucial to making a good choice when it comes to uh, the pricing. Uh, there's a couple of things that that also somehow get lost or, or sometimes get lost when talking about a raw spread plus commission model. Uh, and and it's hard to explain over a podcast, but I'll do the best that I can. Um, generally, we advocate that all things being equal, clients should trade on a raw spread plus commission model um, for, for the reason that when you trade on tighter spreads, your take profits are more likely to be triggered because it's easier for the whole market to move through your zone. But let's assume that nonetheless you have a limit order to sell. You need the whole market to move through your zone to actually sell at that price because as a retail FX trader, we're all price takers. We're not price makers. So when we put a limit order out in the market, no one else sees that order. And we need both the bid and the offer to move through our zone before that order gets triggered. When you trade on wide pricing, limit orders are less likely to be triggered. And limit orders are typically your take profit orders. And they're going to be less likely to be triggered because you need the whole market to move through. So in a, in a perverse example, let's say we have a sell limit order that needs to get executed. If the market is 100 pips wide, we need that whole market to move all the way through our sell limit price before that sell gets triggered. As compared to maybe a spread that is instead of 100 pips wide, it's two-tenths of a pip wide. Now we only need that whole market to move two-tenths further in our favor for our limit order to get triggered. And again, because limit orders are, are typically your take profit orders, this is very important for getting out of those trades and closing at a profit. Um, because if you get very close to your limit order, but don't quite reach it, you open the door for that position to move all the way against you and ultimately hit your stop loss. And that's the other benefit of <coughs> trading with the raw spread model is that with the tighter pricing, you're also less likely to have your stop losses triggered because if you have a stop loss that's 100 pips away from the market, let's say, and all of a sudden that spread widens to 100 pips, you're going to get stopped out at perhaps like the least advantageous price and time possible. But now if the spread is only two-tenths of a pip wide, that market can move much, much further against you before it actually triggers your stop loss. And so on that point, 
because it's less likely for your stop losses to be triggered. It also gives your trades more time to go back in your direction and ultimately reach your take profit or allow you to close out at market at a more favorable price. So again, all things being equal, uh, we encourage uh, traders to, to gravitate towards a raw spread plus commission model. And what can you expect for a commission? Like what would be a reasonable amount? Uh, this this is really what the brokers ultimately offer. Uh, we work with a number of brokers that offer a raw spread plus commission model. Uh, some offer higher commissions than others. Um, it's not the only factor to consider, uh, but but certainly you want to make sure that your broker is charging you commissions that are commensurate with what the marketplace is offering, and mm -hmm. otherwise meeting some of the other uh, requirements that you have uh, mm -hmm. for a broker. Because the size of your account probably have a big role to play into that, right? Uh, in some instances it does, in others it doesn't. Mm -hmm. um, some brokers will give you uh, breaks on the commissions depending on the size of your deposit. Other brokers will give you breaks on your commissions based upon the amount of trading volume you generate in your account. Okay. Uh, so it, it, it does depend, but uh, again, this is just one factor in consideration mm -hmm. um, for, for traders to think about. So what's the second factor? So the second factor is the execution model. And the, the, the two key different types of execution that brokers offer is the dealing desk model versus the non-dealing desk model. Uh, a dealing desk, for those that aren't familiar, <coughs> is uh, where your broker acts as the counterparty to your trade. Uh, so the easy way to think about this is when you buy the euro, they sold it to you. Your broker sold it to you. Uh, and there is, in a sense, a, a zero-sum game when, when it's this type of arrangement where when you make money, your broker loses money. And when you lose money, your broker makes money. Uh, and, and because of this, this concept, there's a lot of people out there who suggest that uh, dealing desk brokers are, are actively trading against you and stop-loss hunting and and otherwise uh, providing a, an unfair trading environment. Um, we, don't, we don't believe that to be the case, certainly not with the dealing desk brokers uh, with which we work. Uh, there probably are some out there that uh, would be better to stay away from because they probably do do those things. Uh, but, but reputable, regulated dealing desk brokers provide a very fair uh, trading environment. It's just that their particular way of making money and the way that they manage their risk is by actually taking risk, by taking the other sides of your trades, all of their clients collectively, and then figuring out what they're going to do with that risk in that position. <coughs> uh, and there are some firms that, that do a great job of, of providing dealing desk execution, uh, like, uh, like a Forex.com or an OANDA, for example. Uh, the other major type of execution is a non-dealing desk model. Uh, and this is typically where your broker is aggregating pricing from a number of different liquidity providers and then showing the client the best bid and the best offer from those different liquidity providers. And this is a different type of execution model, obviously, because you're not actually trading with your broker. Your broker is passing your orders through to the interbank market participants that are <coughs> being aggregated into that price feed that they're showing you. So you place an order to buy, let's say, for example, go back to FXCM, which is a non-dealing desk, and they're passing that order through 
to their interbank market participants. And one of those participants is actually the entity that sells you the euro. Uh, so the broker in this instance is not really taking risk on your trades. And typically with a non-dealing desk broker, they're charging a commission because that's the only way that they'll make money on your trading. Uh, so what you see a lot of times is all-in spreads and dealing desks tend to go together. And raw spread plus commission goes with a non-dealing desk execution model. Um, both of them, both of the different types of execution models have their place in trading. Uh, and that's why we say that there are multiple considerations to choosing a broker, not just price, uh, because certain styles of execution can be beneficial for certain styles of trading. Um, typically with a dealing desk, you'll find that if you're trading in uh, large size or trading in illiquid pairs or, or at illiquid times, you'll typically find better execution than you might with a non-dealing desk broker because the dealing desk is willing to instantly fill your order at a given price up to a certain size, whereas that's not necessarily the case with a non-dealing desk broker where you might get a partial fill or slippage or something on your MT4 that says off quotes or uh, something along those lines. So for clients who need execution at a given price up to a somewhat larger size will tend to have a better experience with the dealing desk, whereas smaller traders with smaller trade size trading largely in major pairs will likely have uh, a better fit with a non-dealing desk broker. Um, it, just, uh, it just ultimately depends on the type of trading style, uh, the pairs traded, and, uh, and other factors that will dictate which uh, type of execution model might be best for uh, that particular trader. What's the third factor to uh, choose a broker? Oh, okay, moving right along. The third factor is choosing a platform. Uh, and this is, this is kind of goes back to that, that silly uh, example where I said people choose a broker sometimes based upon um, you know, what their, their neighbors, brothers, sisters, aunts, you know, tennis coach does. Um, is they choose a platform because someone else told them to do it. Um, or they choose a platform because they think they need to uh, be on a certain platform or it's a more professional platform or whatever it might be. Um, but there are lots of different platforms that are out there, um, largely considered to be the universal platform is MetaTrader 4 or MT4. Uh, and most brokers, I think all brokers with which we work, offer MT4. Um, but a lot of brokers also have their own proprietary platforms or some work with uh, third-party uh, plugins like a C-Trader, for example. Um, and the thing that, that we always advocate for clients who are trying to figure out which platform is right for them is that, by and large, they all contain the, and represent the same data. They're pulling in the same price feed. They're, they're evidencing the same information on a chart, in a spread window, and what's most important for a trader is being able to focus on the trading. Uh, the platform is and should be secondary, and what we think is the right approach is to just find the platform that you feel the most comfortable using. Uh, if you are in the middle of trading and you're trying to figure out how to close a trade, open a trade, modify a stop loss and you can't find the right button, you're going to end up hitting the wrong button. You're going to take the wrong action. You're going to cost yourself some money and 
and generally lose sleep over, I can't use my own trading platform. Uh, so what we advocate is find the one that you're comfortable with, learn the features and functions, um, and, and just kind of stick to it unless there is some overarching reason that you need to change your trading platform. And there's a couple of general uh, rules of thumb that we follow or that we tell clients. Um, and they're kind of uh, common sense, if you will. But uh, if you learn to trade from a mentor or an educator who's on a particular platform, we suggest staying with that platform so that when you talk about trading or share charts, you're comparing apples to apples. You're not looking at his chart on his price feed with some other broker and your chart on your platform with some other pricing feed because you're not necessarily looking at the same thing. So if you're working with someone who's helping you to trade <coughs> or you're part of a trading group, I think it helps to make sense. It helps to, to use the same platform. Um, this is more my personal feeling, but um, if you're a discretionary trader, most proprietary platforms uh, are more conducive and intuitive than MT4. Uh, they're usually more visual, uh, more easy, or they, they display uh, the, the, the trading windows a little bit more easily. The charts are a little bit more customizable. And if you're a point-and-click type trader, then uh, this is typically where you'll find the greatest level of ease of use. Uh, on the other side of the coin, if you consider yourself to be an algorithmic trader, uh, or looking to develop custom indicators and things like that, uh, MT4 is, is usually the better choice because it's a flexible platform and it's highly programmable and customizable. Uh, so it just depends on also knowing what type of trader are you. Are you a discretionary trader or are you uh, an algorithmic style trader? Uh, and the last one is <clears throat> if you're still undecided um, and, and let's say you just are not quite sure, um, we kind of advocate for clients to use uh, the broker's proprietary platform because it tends to be a more reliable and stable platform than an MT4, which is really a third-party plugin. Uh, and because the, the, the broker is maintaining its own platform, it tends to have greater focus, greater customer service resources allocated to it. And there's usually a tremendous amount of uh, video library content out there to help you get familiar with all the functions and features of that platform. Uh, but ultimately, it really is uh, a comfort that should be the driving factor in which platform to use. So what I've noticed over the past few weeks is that a lot of people in, in the audience are like kind of split between algo trading and uh, discretionary trading. But the thing I'm wondering is, I know MT4 a lot, and I know a few platforms from different brokers. But can you name a few of the of, of the good one out there? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, uh, Forex.com has a proprietary platform which is uh, very popular called Forex Trader Pro. Uh, FXCM has a has a great discretionary platform called Trading Station. Uh, Oanda has a has an award winning platform called FX Trade, which is also a, just a great platform for charting and and discretionary traders. Um, there's a couple of, uh, of Australian brokers uh, that I work with that offer uh, CTrader, which is a third-party platform that, uh, that is very good uh, and provides some, some functions and features that you don't find with MT4 and a lot of proprietary platforms. Uh, 
but interestingly enough, what we've seen actually in the last, uh, I'd say, 12 months is a lot of brokers are actually making a concerted effort to move away from MT4 and other third-party platforms and have, again, begun to focus on their own proprietary platforms. So I, I think we're going to see in the next 12 to 18 months a number of large brokers unveiling their own uh, platform, which is, uh, is going to be very interesting because uh, for a long time, MT4 has had uh, somewhat of a stranglehold uh, on, on, on the industry in terms of trading platform. Uh, but, but brokers are now going to be taking their own shot at offering clients uh, what they think is a better mousetrap in a sense. Mm, that's interesting. I was at, I always thought MT4 was like the best uh, or the main uh, platform. That's pretty interesting. It, it's it is. Uh, I, I would be careful to say that anything is the best platform because it it, it kind of falls into the assumption that that I stated at the beginning that one broker is the best broker. Uh, the answer is to all these questions is it really depends. It depends on you and what your needs are, and and when it comes to MT4, there's a lot of things that we could get into, but I really don't think are, are, are within the time budget or, or really within the comprehension of uh, the average listener. Uh, but there are a lot of things involved with MT4 on the back end and the technology side, which can make that platform really good or really bad for a trader. Uh, so it, it's, it's hard to just say unequivocally that MT4 is the best platform. In some instances it is, but definitely there are instances where it is not. Hmm. So is that all for uh, the, the third aspect, choosing a platform, or is there anything else to add to that point? That's, uh, that's really all we kind of want to discuss um, you know, for, for choosing okay. a platform. Uh, if anyone has questions, uh, I, you know, please feel free to, to share my contact mm -hmm. information or trends. We're, we're happy to answer questions and help help any of your listeners that uh, that are still unsure about any of the things that we're discussing and, and really how and where they fit in and, and ultimately which broker and platform and pricing model and execution model that they should choose. All right, traders, that is it for the first part of the interview. Now you'll see the next part to be published on this Wednesday. So this Wednesday, come back, check out the next part, and we'll have three more criteria you have to think about when you want to choose a broker. Those are really crucial. So come back on Wednesday. And if you ever want to connect with me, just check out the Facebook group. You can check this out at desiretotrade.com forward slash group. So desiretotrade.com forward slash group. And I'm right there. So you'll join your Facebook group. You'll be able to talk with new traders. You'll be able to network with people and just get my content every single day. So check this out and I'll see you soon. Thanks for listening to the Desire to Trade podcast. To get all the information on this show, free articles, and unique resources, make sure to check out www.desiretotrade.com and subscribe. Please leave us a review and let us know what you thought about the show. It's time to become the best trader you can be. See you next time.